So propositional truth, I think, and the understanding of scripture as God's word demands that there should be a response. Now then it becomes the pastoral responsibility, the church's responsibility to provide that opportunity. How that looks may be different, but as your church, you have to consider what type of opportunity, how can we instruct people, how can we invite people and plead with people to respond. There's an urgency to the element, whether that be in response to the Great Commission or whether that be in response to the gospel initially, we need to be pleading with people this day, today is the day of salvation, uh, but the nature of scripture mandates for us that we should be providing a, an avenue for response to the listeners and the hearers of God's word. Hi, I'm Brandon Briscoe, and welcome to another episode of The Postscript, Living Faith Bible Institute's weekly podcast and YouTube series devoted to interviewing pastors and professors from LFBI, across the Living Faith Fellowship, and abroad when we run into people who are like-minded and uh, willing to, to share with us some of the things that they've learned in God's Word and, and in ministry, and, and that's what we get to do today. We have the privilege of interviewing a friend uh, who is new to us, new to the Bible Institute, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to sharing him with you guys. With that in mind, and by way of intro, uh, many Christians that have grown up in Baptist churches or Baptist cultures would be familiar with the concept of an invitation, which would be that time kind of after a service, after the preaching, where the pastor or preacher gives a charge to respond to the sermon. And there's a long history of this in Christianity, uh, especially here in America, uh, especially in light of the Great Awakening, men like Jonathan Edwards and, and Billy Sunday and, and, and the greats of old, the evangelists of old, Billy Graham even, uh, employed the invitation as a way to call people to respond to their sermons. Now, in recent years, if you look across evangelical Christianity, uh, you see the invitation, uh, the art of invitation has waned quite a bit. Not as many pastors or churches are employing uh, the invitation to call people to respond to the preaching of the sermon. And uh, there are many reasons for that, and we're going to dig through some of that today. We have invited Dr. Scott Pace, who is the Vice President of Undergraduate Studies and Dean of the College of Southeastern. And uh, he's written several books. Uh, one of those books is this one right here, Calling Out the Called, uh, which is a book essentially about disciple-making and, and leading people into leadership. And so this is a really good book, and in this book, he addresses the topic of the art of, or the lost art of, the invitation. And so with that, I want to welcome Scott to The Postscript. It's good to have you, man. Hey, man. Thanks for having me on, Brandon. Really looking forward to the conversation and excited to be here. And so I, I just read this book just a few months ago. I ran across it. Uh, we were talking about this. I ran across it on Amazon. Um, I buy tons of books on Amazon in, in preparation for classes here at the Bible Institute, just thinking about what different resources our students need. And so uh, I stumbled upon this book and read it, and it sounded so much like the things that we talk about as a school in terms of hmm. calling people to more, calling people to go deeper. And, uh, you know, I want to just begin by asking you, what was what was your intention in writing the book, uh, you and, and the co-author there, Shane Pruitt, um, what was your reasoning for writing the book? What inspired you to do it? You know, it was uh, really a result of a combination of factors. Um, probably the, the most important one or significant one was kind of this famine we see right now in ministry leadership. Uh, so we have a, a ton of churches 
that don't have uh, pastors and can't find pastors, and whether mm. that's in the lead role or support role. Um, and so this this began to be a conversation, and we wondered why is this. And in, in, in our research and even our experience kind of turned over the, the rock that said, hey, we're not actually issuing this as an invitation or an opportunity to consider. Is God calling me to vocational ministry leadership in some form or capacity? And based on some of the statistics that we talk about in the book, based on some of the needs that was there, and then based on kind of the, uh, the, the conversation that needed to be elevated, hey, let's write this on challenging people to call out the called. And the follow piece of that was, okay, if they respond, what do we do with them? And so the book also doubles as a resource to say, don't just call them out. Here's a a handbook, if you will, a how-to guide to help disciple and mentor someone who is called into ministry leadership and prepare them and equip them to answer that call. Man, that, that's so awesome. And it and it echoes a lot of the things that we talk about as a Bible school. You know, a lot of our churches involved in the fellowship and with our Bible Institute have circuit riding ministries, mm. you know, uh, where, you know, there's a church in need out in some rural area. They haven't yeah. had a pastor for three or four years, and, and they're hungry for, for people to come and teach them the Word. And so a lot of a lot of us get exposure or have seen this firsthand that there are churches all across the US especially after COVID that are right. dying that they're in need that there's a la- there's a real lack or a void of leadership and it is the responsibility of the church and maybe uh, established leaders uh, mm-hmm. that are already established in the work of ministry to look down at the youth of our churches and yeah. say would you consider whether or not this is how God has gifted you and, and what your call might be yeah, exactly. And that's that's some of what we've seen people get away from. Uh, you mentioned the invitation. That's a piece of it that we can talk about. Uh, but there's been a, a drift away from offering a formal invitation that typically would have included uh, you know, a call to ministry or at least prayerful consideration. Might God be calling mm-hmm. you to this? Um, and then we also began to, in the church, elevate kind of what we describe as a universal calling, you know, every believer is called to live on mission, to serve Christ, to be involved in in the the local church. Um, it, but in the in an effort to kind of elevate that, we did it at the uh, neglect of that unique calling. Of there are some who are called to vocational ministry, and so I want to mm-hmm. maintain every member ministry and every member on mission mindset because that's biblical too. Uh, we we don't need to do it at the neglect of, and yet some are set apart for the unique calling of vocational ministry. So that's that's really what we have, like you said, is the responsibility of church leaders now to be kind of sharing that with their congregations. You mentioned you know, some of the youth and younger people, and maybe you've seen this in your church as well. I was talking to a pastor last week um, who described in his church, he was burdened by these numbers and statistics of uh, the empty churches that don't have a pastor. And so he kind of challenged his congregation, maybe God's calling you to a second career, You've been serving him faithfully as a an accountant or a school teacher or whatever. Maybe he's calling you to step out of that into vocational ministry. And he had five individual church members contact him separately that week to say, I need to consider that. I feel like God may be doing mm-hmm. that in my life. So it really is about elevating the conversation in our churches and giving the people an opportunity to sense the Spirit's leadership um, as he leads them maybe to consider a, a vocational call to ministry. Yeah, and I think with that, there's there's so many people that have neglected the concept of being a lay pastor, 
and, mm-hmm. and we, we need to, to reinvigorate this idea that you can work a nine to five, but then you can also function as a shepherd um, to varying degrees and be very successful as a shepherd while also having some sort of, of uh, you know, tent building ministry, you know, uh, where you're... A hundred percent. Yeah. So I think this is really a, a really important conversation because if we don't begin thinking creatively about the mission... Um, mm. and, and thinking creatively about what it looks like to raise up leaders, then we get stuck in a position where we're just we're continuing to complain about the state of the church in the U.S. in particular, and, and then we're not doing anything about it. Exactly. Yeah, we, we don't need, just need to identify the problem. We need to help provide the solution, right? Yeah, absolutely. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the content of the book? Um, you don't have to give us a chapter-by-chapter chapter rundown. We want sure. people to read the book for themselves, but, right. but give us maybe <laughs> some of the, the major highlights of the book. Yeah, one of the things that we uh, start with is helping someone really wrestle with what does a call to ministry look like and what does it involve. Uh, it's a really important part that I think sometimes we try to uh, unintentionally circumvent or maybe short circuit in a person's walk in life. Um, you know, we want them to know with certainty at a particular moment. But in that process, what we have found is in the wrestling is where God actually drives the stake deeper and helps the cement dry. Uh, I'll speak from my own personal experience in this. Man, there were seasons, dark seasons of ministry where things were really hard. Uh, the church, the tension, uh, things, you know, making family uh, challenges and all the things that we face in ministry. And in the darkest seasons of ministry, I wanted to tap out and walk away. And everybody, if you haven't experienced that in ministry, you just haven't been in it long enough, right? Like right. it will happen at some point. And so um, the one thing that kept me anchored in the ministry was the certainty of my calling. And if we sometimes short circuit the process of really cementing and clarifying that call, people are likely to dismiss it later on in ministry as, well, that was just some emotional response or maybe somebody else that was their intention for me. But I really kind of, you know, made the decision based on their influence rather than on a, a, a legitimate sense of calling. So one of the things we start the book out with is, helping someone wrestle through that calling, what it involves, what it looks like, and how that can be affirmed. And really the rest of the chapters are some discipleship elements that would be true by way of spiritual formation for any disciple, but with a Mm -hmm. ministry flavor. So how does your personal devotion through the scriptures not just develop you uh, into Christ's likeness, but how will that translate into equipping you to do the work of ministry whether that be Bible teaching and preaching or leading a small group or whatever it may be. So we kind of take the um, the, the typical uh, spiritual disciplines, if you will, and dedicate them towards ministry preparation with some specifics to what that's going to require and, and should include. Yeah, and I think you do a really good job in the book of, of being honest with uh, people who are considering this. Like, uh, here's the things that you have to know. Here's the things you have to anticipate in terms of the way ministry looks. Uh, here's right. the things that, that um, the, tr- the, the struggles that you will face, but here's a way of adapting and, and growing through that. Um, and it's all the things, especially I think in those early years of uh, leadership, that, that mm-hmm. a young person or, or any person who's, who's wrestling with this stuff is going gonna, is gonna to face. And I think you do yeah. a really good job of, of touching on a lot of different bases. Yeah. You know, one of the things we've seen is, is people who get into ministry and they either have rose-colored glasses or they didn't know what to expect. 
and it can disenchant them and dishearten them uh, towards the ministry and in the ministry. And so we do want to help people walk into that with eyes wide open, you know, count the cost. Jesus was very specific on, hey, count the cost before you start building this tower uh, type of thing. And so uh, we wanted to introduce them to that at a level where they could absorb it uh, and prepare for it, even without necessarily having experienced it at this point. Yeah, as, as someone who works with a lot of people who come to you saying, hey, I've got a call in mm-hmm. my life, that's why I'm at your school. Right. How, how often do you see people who maybe have those rose-colored glasses on who just don't make it in ministry because they were unprepared for the trials ahead of them? You know, Do, do you see that a lot? Yeah, it's, it's really easy, and it's natural for us to want to, to insulate someone from maybe the, the ugly side of, of ministry, which is really a necessary side. Uh, life is mm-hmm. messy. People are messy. Problems are, are thorny and difficult. And, um, you know, a lot of people, we do shield them, uh, almost like that overprotective parent that doesn't want to expose uh, someone to something prematurely or unnecessarily. And so what that does is it actually sets them up to fail rather than to succeed because they're, they're not ready for that when it comes. And again, they become not just surprised, they become uh, disheartened and disenchanted towards the ministry. And that's altogether uh, too uncommon. That's one of the contributing factors is why we have this shortage of ministry leaders. It's not just that we haven't seen them called, it's that some have tapped out uh, too quickly. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's because maybe they weren't prepared in the right ways. How important do you think it is for people who are studying theology and studying the art and mi- of ministry to be involved in a local church and practicing forms of leadership, stepping huh. up in leadership as they're getting their education? I, I mean, most of our students, and this is the unique thing about LFBI, is mm-hmm. that most of our students are plugged into local churches and they come to us by way of that local church with the commitment yeah. that they're going to be involved in their local church. And and so how important do you think that is, that that yeah. getting into the to the grime and the difficulty of ministry as you're studying God's Word? It's crucial. Uh, I mean, it's one of the things uh, we like to describe it this way or think of it. Uh, they need the blend of the library and the laboratory. You know, you're learning things mm-hmm. in this context that you need a place that you can experiment with those, what you're learning, theological doctrines, ministry applications, and those types of things. But then you need the laboratory to help refine your understanding of what you're going to learn in the library. And so those things kind of uh, are reciprocal in a sense, and uh, you benefit mutually. Personally, uh, my own testimony, I was convinced when I came to seminary, I had an undergraduate degree in accounting from a larger secular school. I worked as an accountant for a couple of years. God calls me into ministry. I come to seminary. I get married my second week of classes, and I tell my wife, hey, this will be a season of preparation. God's just going to prepare us. Uh, we don't need to necessarily uh, be serving in ministry. And within a year, I was on staff at a local church. I hadn't planned mm. that, but through our active involvement, it just kind of happened that way. And now looking back on it, I've often said, God knew better than I did. I needed the active involvement, whether it's it's necessarily paid or not. You have to be actively involved in ministry service and leadership as part of that preparation because it's going to enhance the learning uh, in the academy, if you will, and, and give it some some kind of flesh and some color uh, to what you're actually learning and putting into practice. So I think that exposure is essential and crucial to their development. Yeah, that's that's really good. So in the book, you you make this statement at the at the very end, and I think this is what we're going to kind of focus on, and then we'll come back to these broader concepts at the end. But yeah. 
But in the book, uh, you say that uh, pastors and churches have neglected the gospel invitation, mm. which really caught me by surprise because, uh, you know, I think you're right. I, I hadn't I hadn't fully recognized it, but there are a lot of churches that um, that. I've encountered over the years that have kind of put the invitation on the back burner. It hasn't, hasn't yeah. been as prevalent as maybe it was, you know, when I was growing up in the 80s and 90s in, in you right. know, Fundamental Baptist Church, and, and right. um, it was a, it, there was a, the, a powerful invitation at the end of every sermon, and there may have been problems with some of that, I don't, you know, depending sure. on where you're at, but, but there is kind of a neglect. And, and so why do you think pastors have gotten away from the public invitation at the end of their sermons? Yeah, this is a great question that, that I think is, is one that we have to take honest inventory with. Um, one, and you mentioned it uh, early on when we started the conversation, uh, the biblical foundation of what the invitation is by way of a call to response. We see this over and over through Scripture, whether it be through the prophets, um, you know, in the Old Testament, things like even what you might consider with Joshua, choose this day, you know, who you're mm-hmm. going to serve and uh, kind of this um, call to action and response uh, throughout that. And then in the New Testament, Jesus even inviting people to respond. And uh, the so so there's a biblical precedent for all that, which is why it was established and has persisted for throughout uh, the history of the church. Uh, it's taken mm-hmm. more of a modern form that you described with evangelism and uh, the evangelistic movements of the 19th uh, century and those types of things. Uh, but ultimately, when you fast forward to now, why have we reverted away from that? I do think you mentioned the 80s and 90s. I think there was a, a, a renewal of emphasis in the 80s and 90s that began to be overdone and perhaps even manipulated. I think you kind of alluded to that like, hey, depending on where you were, there might have been some issues with that. I think people mm-hmm. had an overreaction, uh, maybe an overcorrection to what was a real problem. People were manipulating. There was kind of this easy believism that was being promoted and kind of invitation to respond. And so we overcorrected by saying, well, let's just throw the whole invitation out. The invitations are mm. unbiblical or ungodly or you know don't have a place in church. So let's just get rid of those. I think that was a large part of the pendulum swing um, that we got away from. But then I think the other more recent factors, uh, things like COVID, that uh, different churches established different regulations. Okay, now we can't do an invitation in a traditional sense. And since all those regulations have been lifted, some churches have just chosen not to go back to them. Hey, you know what? Mm. Let's we found a way around it. You can stop at this place in the lobby and talk to people, or you can, you know, if you have questions, make sure you contact us or whatever. And so they've gotten away from it. So I think it's just had a compound effect for a lot of different reasons. Uh, but undoubtedly, churches have gone away from the invitation, and we got to get back to that. Those are really good insights, and I, I think it's really important, theologically speaking, for us to acknowledge the fact that. That there is, like you said, a precedent for doing this, um, and I think with the you know what we talked about earlier, with the need that we see in the world, uh, there needs to be a, a, a sense of urgency infused back into the way that we do church. I think mm. there's an urgency uh, missing uh, in terms of the mission, and uh, yeah. there is a there is you know around here we refer to it as Laodicean kind of a Laodicean mm. mindset. Yeah. Uh, where it's it's rights of the people, it's the comfort of the people. It's a you know it's a big tent comfort model. Mm-hmm. It's kind of overtaken the culture of Christianity, and I think it's up to Bible believers to get back to this idea of we 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 are living for more. 
Like th- yeah. th- this should this should be challenging. This should be difficult. Yeah. This should uh, you know overturn the apple cart and disrupt uh, the the continuity of your life because it's that big and it's that that important. So I, I really appreciate that. So why do you believe you know as pastors and leaders why do we need to be more sensitive to the need for invitation? in our services, you know, we're, mm. the audience for the show is going to be growing leaders, but it's also going to be a lot of pastors and missionaries yeah. who all have very unique congregations, maybe 30 or 40 people in a congregation, maybe, maybe several hundred in a congregation mm. and with different cultures, different settings, different communities, uh, sure. different, different strategies that they're, they're employing. Why do we as a whole, as pastors and leaders need to reconsider, uh, the need for, for invitation? Well, uh, man, there's a lot of theological roots that I think you and I would agree with on this. Some of it is the truth and the nature of God's Word, right? God's Word is propositional truth, which in other words, it's put out there, it demands a response. There, You can't read God's Word and not respond. And so we're, we're encountering divine revelation, and when preached and proclaimed rightly, it demands a response. So propositional truth, I think, in the understanding of Scripture— as God's word, one demands that there should be a response. Now then it becomes the pastoral responsibility, the church's responsibility to provide that opportunity. And that may take different looks based on what you described, different contexts, different sizes, different places. How that looks may be different, but as your church, you have to consider what type of opportunity, how can we instruct people, how can we invite people and plead with people to respond. Mm-hmm. I think that's where the urgency comes in, that there is an appeal. Scripture is not just proposition, propositional truth, kind of demanding a response. There's an urgency to the element, whether that be in response to the Great Commission or whether that be in response to the gospel. Initially, we need to be pleading with people this day. Today is the day of salvation. Uh, yeah. This is the day uh, to kind of choose. So I, mean, I think there is that urgency and appeal, uh, but the nature of Scripture mandates for us that we should be providing a, an avenue for response to the listeners and the hearers of God's Word. In the book, you make an emphasis mingled in with this conversation about the invitation, calling out people, call, calling them to whether it mm-hmm. be the gospel or or to discipleship or to committing to the call of ministry on your life. Mm-hmm. Mingled in with this, you talk about prayer and the necessity yeah. for prayer among leaders within a church, because this isn't the type of thing that just uh, happens because you've you've decided to employ a, a, an invitation at the end of your sermon, right? right there's right. no, there's no. The spirit is not necessarily involved in that. The spirit is not under any obligation to provoke people if there's not right. a plea in prayer. And so maybe you can right. explain the necessity of prayer a little bit. Yeah, you know, I think this would go back to like Matthew nine, where Jesus is kind of burdened for the lostness of the people before him. He likens it to the field that's white unto harvest. And what does he challenge his disciples and us then uh, to do? Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out workers into the harvest. And so we talk about calling out the call. Really, that's what we're kind of leveraging. God, we want to pray that you would identify, raise up, and call out workers to go into the harvest. So by way of that example, prayer is essential. But the truth is, prayer undergirds everything that we do uh, in life and in ministry. And like you said, apart from the work of the Spirit, through the act of prayer, invoking His uh, involvement with prayer, 
then otherwise we're just trying to manufacture something on our own that's destined to fail. At the very least, be short-lived, right? It can't be sustained mm-hmm. uh, and would be mm-hmm. less than genuine or sincere uh, in terms of their response. So uh, we have to do everything dependent uh, on prayer. Yeah, and so with that, I, I like what you were saying, and it made me consider that I think a lot of people in times past have abused the invitation as a mm-hmm. way of kind of asserting a demand on God's right. people, right? And just assuming yeah. that maybe if I yell a bit or I I use some form of emotionalism, right? Mm-hmm. Emotionalism mm-hmm. being part of the problem, right? If I use that, well, then I'm going to see the results that I want to see. But the truth is, at the end of the day. Unless the Lord builds the house, the labor is in vain, and there's no amount of emotionalism that you can use that's actually going to be sustainable ministry with longevity, and and so that the spirit has to be involved. And so, um, you know, what what do you have to say about like the the infusion or the maybe the expectation of invitation in prayer? Like, when you pray to the Lord, what should a pastor be considering when he comes before God? If a pastor does have the heart to see the work multiplied and more churches yeah. planted, which is kind of what we're assuming here is that pastors yeah. actually want that. There, that might be a whole nother conversation that some pastors right. don't necessarily <laughs> want to send out their best and the brightest. They want to hoard mm-hmm. up God's people. Mm-hmm. But but let's assume that a pastor has the right heart towards the mission. Mm-hmm. What would you encourage or what would you say about about building prayer habits uh, yeah. surrounding uh, surrounding that? I think it's going to start with uh, evaluating our own hearts. You know, prayer should always be kind of reflective uh, first in that, uh, God, am I asking this for the right reason? What are the motives in my heart? Um, Purify those things where I'm not seeking them for uh, either uh, the the self-gratification of a public response or maybe somehow uh, building our own uh, kingdom. Just that there would be a guard on our heart and maybe the Spirit Mm -hmm. would expose to us any kind of hidden motives. I think it starts there. I think then it translates into uh, a prayer uh, for usability, that God make me usable. We oftentimes pray, God, use me. But I think Scripture kind of says God will uh, use you. He wants to use you, but you have to be usable. So 2 Timothy 2, Mm -hmm. that we'd be vessels of honor, useful to the master, set aside and prepared for every good work. So God, now now I want to be a vessel. And then I think we pray according to Scripture. Uh, that God's word is going to be what does the work in the hearts of people's lives uh, and that the spirit would be the one to use that. So now it's about the message. All right, God, uh, I'm doing this with right motives. I'm trying to be uh, sanctified uh, and be a vessel of honor. I'm trying to communicate your word that it's going to be the sword that cuts with the precision of a scalpel and with the power of an Excalibur sword. You know, it's going to do both. So I'm going to trust the sword of the spirit to do that. And then we can genuinely pray, God, according to your will, uh, invite people to respond, move in the hearts of our people. Uh, And then I think the last piece of that is that we would be sensitive to the instructing. How are we actually appealing to them? Too many times in the invitation, I think we just leave it too broad. If God is leading you to make some kind of decision, please come forward and let us pray with you and help you. But actually instructing our people to consider uh, what those decisions could include. And so being specific. Mm -hmm. Maybe God's leading you to a next step of faithful obedience, a next level of full surrender. What does that look like in your life? Maybe for some of you that might look like, and begin to give them examples. That's not manipulating or misleading. That's actually just helping them connect the dots of God. Is this a category that you're calling me to to prayerfully consider? And I think that's a practical element uh, that we oftentimes overlook and just assume, oh, no, we have to, to just let that happen. 
Uh, and I think that's, that's where we're a little bit maybe negligent in our duties. Mm. And, and so with that, you're already kind of hitting on some of these practical aspects of the invitation itself. So what are some of the things in terms of implementation that we should be mm. considering if we want to uh, begin to re-employ the invitation? What are some things that we should be considering? And you, you address this in the book. I think you do a really good job. But help us to better understand what are some of the things that we should be thinking about as we begin um, u- using an invitation yeah. in our sermon to provoke people. I think when we consider how to start uh, preparing our people for an invitation, that we can give them clues as to this is coming. So, hey, today we're going to talk about this passage or introduce the subject of the sermon and the, and the, and the message and uh, all those types of things. And listen, at the end, what is God calling you to do? We're going to, so in other words, begin to preview a little bit that there is a decision coming rather than getting to the end of the sermon and all of a sudden, oh, now you're asking me to do something. I think we have to condition mm-hmm. ourselves, our, our people to to to. Uh, prepare to respond. There is going to be a response that God's inviting you to, uh, in 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 light of this message or, or this passage uh, of God's word. And then again, in the practical elements, instructing them to do um, how to respond, what those uh, things involve. And then I think, um, you know, we don't do a good enough job sharing our um, calling testimony as much as we share our conversion mm-hmm. testimony. So helping people see. Uh, and as we speak of it, not just in a sermon, but maybe in conversations or maybe in uh, allusions to in a sermon or examples uh, of how God works in people's lives or how he's worked in our life to be able to say, maybe God's leading you to make a similar decision in your own life and giving them mm-hmm. a, a picture. Oh, this is what this would look like. And, you know, it's not you're not always the hero of the story. It's not like it's all about you. That's just one personal anecdote. But there may be others that you want to uh, use by way of example that can help them see what God is leading them to do as well. Mm, yeah, that's that's really good. One of the things that you mentioned, and I think that this is maybe implied, but but you mentioned keeping it bibl- biblical. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and I think you're right. I think that's important. We need to remember that because I think we can ask people to do a lot of things. Sure. And I think motives, you know, different motives are involved there. And you, you mentioned that as well, but we need to keep it biblical. You also mentioned keeping it short. Why is that so important? I think that that's where people uh, can easily be manipulated. When we extend it beyond um, kind of a, a, a general opportunity or a specific response uh, and just kind of let it linger, people feel like they need to do something just to get it over with. And at that point, mm-hmm. the not only is the decision um, maybe not genuine, uh, but even their uh, kind of the process of coming to that decision, that impulse is, is uh, misled or misguided. Uh, in that. And so I think we need to keep it short to the point, help them understand the response. And then that that way, we're actually trusting the Lord and not trusting ourselves by way of how much more can we say? What else do we need to say? Maybe we can convince someone, man, that's the Spirit's work. We got to let the Spirit work. So say mm-hmm. what we need to say, and then let the Spirit do the, the part that we can't do. You know, I, I often talk about uh, with a lot of the young people that I do ministry with, this idea, especially with our leadership, our growing leaders, that we need to have a, a culture of response. Mm. And I think what happens in churches that even have an invitation or, or, or have for a long time been you know, presenting an invitation at the end of their, their right. services, the invitation is for the weak believers, <laughs> like the, the ones that have been struggling this week. And so right. uh, you know, among the leadership or the people that are at least perceived to be mature— there's not a there's not a uh, in their mind the invitation's not for them and I think this mm. paradigm began to change for me when I saw our pastor give an invitation 
and then make his way down to the pew responding to the sermon that he just preached, his own yeah. sermon that he preached, he was responding to. And so mm. seeing seeing that and, and watching that take place, those are things that I think help promote and, and provoke a culture of, of invitational response. And maybe you've got some more insight into that. No, I would echo that. I do think that we have to model what that response looks like and not just demand it of our people. Uh, I, I think sometimes we can instruct people along the same way where we, we don't just set it aside for the people who are kind of the weak uh, among us, but we actually say, maybe you're here today and this isn't a point of weakness for you, but you can identify someone who is struggling, or maybe you can um, celebrate uh, how God's led you through that season of struggling. And this is a time for you to respond in those same ways, maybe in intercession for someone else, or maybe in celebration of what God's done in your life. Uh, and so respond. That That's not a stay still, don't respond. That's a respond. You can't just uh, be static in that uh, as well. So some of that is by modeling in our own life, but also giving them other categories for if I don't have this particular weakness in my own life at this moment, doesn't mean that there's not a response for me. And that could be in terms of how God used me in someone else's life, uh, who I need to pray for, intercede for, or in celebration and reflection of what God has done to bring me out of those types of seasons or into the place where I am now. Um, I think that we have to help them see that that all of it is a response uh, that God's calling all of us to. Yeah, that's that's really good. W- what do you have to say in terms of advice for counselors in these situations? Mm. Because I think it's common during an invitation, obviously the pastor can't meet with every hurting person or every person sure. that hears a call or whatever it might be. They'll invite some of the leaders, maybe other pastors or elders in the church, yeah. um, to come kind of stand and be up front, be available. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, you know, I'm not suggesting that they that every one of those in- individuals has to have gone through Bible school, you know. But right. what do how do how do they need to be equipped to respond to the needs that that come forward? Because there'll be a diversity of things. Like, how sure. do you prepare people in an invitation to meet with people and counsel with them? Yeah. Well, I, I try to always always tell um, people in that situation or scenario, you want to meet the person who may be coming forward. Uh, so in other words, you don't want to shy away from them or hope they don't walk over to you. You need to be prepared. Try to gauge just even by their own posture and demeanor, whether it's a man they're coming forward with a hurt or a concern or maybe with a decision of joy. You can gauge that pretty well. Uh, I always want to initiate the conversation. So, hey, brother or sister, what's on your heart? And that gives them the open opportunity to express what they're saying. Because if we stand there and wait for them to talk, oftentimes they don't know what to say. They just know that there's something, but they don't know how this goes. What is this? I came forward to you. So as pastors or leaders uh, in the front, we need to be able to open the conversation. Hey, what's on your heart? And then you kind of take it from there um, with an, um, kind of what to do next, like what the next steps are. Uh, I'll keep it for our conversation, just maybe pointed towards uh, obviously, the gospel conversation of salvation would be a, 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 de- a decision that you could lead them through. That person would need to be equipped to lead them through. If it's a heavier, ongoing counseling type scenario, I'm really walking through this season of struggle and turmoil. You want to pray with them there um, and, and kind of walk through that, but pl- have a plan for follow up. Hey, here's what we're going to do mm-hmm. after the service, and here's what we're going to do beyond this. Um, if there's simply a, a need to pray through, uh, obviously, lead the person uh, in prayer there. But if they're calling, coming forward with a call to ministry leadership of some kind, then I think there's another step that you're going to say, almost just like the counseling situation, you want to affirm what you can at that point. 
hey, that's, man, I think God's calling me to missions. Praise the Lord. What makes you sense that? What's he been doing? Was this a, a, you know, leading up to this? Was there something or was it just the moment of God's word today that's led you to that? Hear their heart a little bit. It's going to be a brief encounter and then uh, pray with them and then walk through, hey, after the service, let's talk more about how to follow up on this decision. It's funny. The first time this ever happened to me, I've been a youth pastor for about six months. A young lady comes forward. She usually has a bright smile on her face. She has tears streaming down her face. Jody, what's mm-hmm. on your heart? And she says, uh, Pastor Scott, I think I'm called to missions. And she said, and I don't know what that means. And I had the brilliant advice to say, Jody, I, I don't know what that means either. Because I didn't. Like I had not been doing this. I didn't know exactly right. how to respond. So I just said, I don't know what that means either. But I said, if we'll begin to pray. Uh, well, fast forward. Uh, two months later, God called her parents to full-time vocational mission work, and she spent the remainder of her middle school and high school years in East Asia serving on the mission field. And God wow. used her calling to influence her parents' calling to missions. Now what I would look back and say, what would I or should I or could I have told uh, Jody? There, I wouldn't have overwhelmed her, but it would have started with prayer, and then it would have been a simple step like, hey, let's go on a mission trip. Let's let you explore that calling. Let's let you kind of exercise your gifts. Let's give you a, an opportunity to really pray through, is this what God's leading me to do? And I think regardless of the type of calling, that's what you want to begin with is helping them explore what that calling would look like and giving them an opportunity to, to kind of dabble and explore um, in that uh, that ministry yeah. giftedness that maybe God's leading them to consider. Yeah. And, th- and that was actually, that was going to be my next question. I think it's really good that you hit on that is that is that when some when someone comes forward, um, you know, there could be they might maybe they say, well, the spirit has impressed upon me that, mm-hmm. that this mm-hmm. is maybe right now it's just this this sense that I have this innate sense, yeah. Um, but they don't yet have confirmation in terms of their right. development and growth, or or maybe they don't yet you know maybe there's some unknown data points that a pastor mm-hmm. has or a leader has about their life, and so there there is a need to have an appropriate follow up, and that follow up might be momentary, uh, but it mm. might be months and months of follow-up. It might be new trajectories. It might be new ministry objectives. It might be uh, you know, plugging someone into a new form of discipleship and growth. And so there's all of these little nuances that are necessary for getting people to the place of calling, right? To, to yeah. realize that place of calling. It's, it's, it's a path. Yeah. And so what, what would you say to pastors, but also people who feel called, what do we need to know about that communication and that open dialogue uh, towards fulfilling God's call? Mm. Yeah, I think to start right there where you were describing that, I think there's types of affirmation we have to look for. And so there's going to be what, what may at the end of a service would be something like a personal affirmation. I sense the spirit leading in this. And that may have been something that's been building and culminated in that moment. Or maybe that's the initiating kind of launching point that's going to be devotionally developed um, as they continue to walk with the Lord. And they just sense, man, the spirit is impressing this upon me through scripture. God's calling me to this. Then I think the follow-up is what you're describing. It's going to be involved two things, a private affirmation. So that's somebody else who may have a similar or maybe somewhat identical calling on their life that can help 
them understand what this looks like, mm. what it involves, what it requires, and look at their life and kind of affirm, yes, I see these things in you that I can tell you from personal experience is going to be necessary or required to serve in this capacity. And so maybe somebody just a little bit further down the road um, than them in terms of that a similar calling, because we all know what it's like in any vocation or field of study, man, you study something and then you get a job in it and you're like, hey, this isn't exactly what I thought this was. Like, that's not right. what I thought it was. And so talking to somebody who's actually in that capacity uh, or serving in that way can help give insight. And so there's that the personal uh, affirmation in the private. And then I would say there's the public affirmation. And this is where the community of faith uh, comes in and is able to affirm um, the giftedness, the usefulness, um, the faithfulness of the individual that they're apt to serve in those uh, areas of ministry or mission. And so that by way of that way, it's a public affirmation. And that's where they do have those opportunities to begin to exercise those gifts and serve in different ways where people can uh, affirm that. I think all of those are summarized in Paul's own testimony at the end of Galatians mm-hmm. 1. And he kind of describes that, man, when, I, when God revealed this to me, I went away into Arabia. Uh, and that was in some ways devotional. In other ways, God had called him to go to the Gentiles. So he went to try to explore what it meant to serve Gentiles. Uh, but then he comes back to Jerusalem. He has the private affirmation with Peter, not as a authority, like authorizing his apostleship, but affirming, yes, this is what I'm doing. This is what God's called me to. And you see that private affirmation. And then he went to the churches that didn't recognize him by face. And he heard them testifying and glorifying God that the one who once tried to persecute the faith is now preaching the gospel he once tried to destroy. And they were celebrating his usefulness in the ministry. Uh, the key part of all that is that private, personal, and public affirmation doesn't always come in the same sequence. In fact, for me, mm. they came in opposite. I had more of a public affirmation just through faithfulness in the local church, and then it was through a mentor investing in me, trying to encourage me to consider it, that then God used ultimately devotionally and convicted me, man, I'm calling you to ministry, uh, full-time, vocational service. And that sounds that sounds more like Timothy, Right. In in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's like the flip side of that. Yeah. So it doesn't so while all those elements are important for affirmation, they may not come in the same sequence for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that's re- really good. Now I wonder, you know, you mentioned this uh and I think this is a relevant point and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. So Paul when he went before Jerusalem, uh you mm-hmm. know, he was either a face that wasn't known or he had or he was infamous, right? Like he had yeah, a reputation right. that, that preceded him. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of times, um, I think in invitation, in the in calling someone out and calling out our flock, we're going to have yeah. people who come forward that are unexpected, right? Mm. The ones that are rough around the, the, the edges. Um, yeah. And uh, I think that there's a really appropriate heart response that we need to have or be prepared to help those that are zealous that, that, maybe we would have written off or we weren't so sure about. What, what would you mm-hmm. say to someone who is is helping to mentor yeah. or working with people who have a call that maybe we just didn't expect? Yeah. So two things I would say, again, I'm going to point back to scripture, which I know you love as well. Yeah, so great. Um, in 1 Corinthians 1, you know, Paul said, hey, consider your own calling. Not many of you were wise. Mm-hmm. Not many of you were from noble birth. Not many of you. And he's challenging them that ultimately none of them were qualified on their own, but he kind of arrives at the conclusion. But in Christ, we are all justified and qualified uh, for his service. And so that's one mm-hmm. thing that we all have to keep in mind. None of us were qualified on our own 
uh, God, you know, equips the the call. He, he doesn't call the equipped or call the qualified. So I think that's where we start. The second thing is, you know, we use discernment in the church a lot to maybe um, describe a, a wolf in sheep's clothing or be able to spot a wolf in sheep's clothing. Hey, I'm discerning. I can spot the wolf in sheep's clothing. But discernment also has a positive connotation that I can spot the diamond in the rough, that I can spot mm. the untapped potential that God has in someone's life. And so from that perspective, I think it operates more from a grace oriented, um, you know, kind of mentality that says, God, I want to trust what you could do, even in what Paul would have said, you know, the worst of sinners, uh, that God, you could do something supernatural and they might be even a greater testimony of God's grace towards uh, them and towards others uh, through that. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the show. We're going to pause right here for just a second so we can hear from one of our students from the Living Faith Bible Institute. My name is Blade Spiza. I'm from Living Faith Lee Summit in the Kansas City, Missouri area. And I just want to share a little bit about LFBI. It feels like a commercial and I don't want it to be that. I actually want to speak to you just as an individual who loves God and wants to serve God and give your life to Him. LFBI, though it may seem academic, is actually an opportunity for you to have an intimate walk with the Lord. And you know, you go through discipleship, you get involved in ministry, and, and as you continue to grow, God gives you stuff, and you begin investing in people. And a lot of times, uh, as you begin investing in people, you, you fail to get fed yourself. And so I know for me, as a growing leader in ministry, I've, I've found seasons in my life that are really dry, and LFBI has been amazing for me just to be reminded of, about how awesome the Word of God is and how faithful God has been and, and how perfect God's Word is for me. And uh, I would just encourage you this semester to, to take on a little bit more. Maybe you're thinking, I don't, ha I don't have time. <laughs> I, I'm so busy. You know, I, I feel like I'm just doing too much. I want to encourage you that LFBI doesn't have to be academic. You can actually approach God's Word devotionally in that time and trust Him to speak to you in the quietness of a classroom setting. If you're on the fence about LFBI, I just want to encourage you to get started uh, by signing up for a class. If you've never done it, I encourage you to, to hop in maybe to a Bible survey class or foundations. Um, if, if you've been doing LFBI for a little while and you understand the workload, take on a little bit more. Step out in faith. To enroll for classes, visit lfbi.org. To support LFBI, please visit lfbi.org support. How important is it for churches to display or reinforce the path of growth in their churches? Mm. Um, it should, you know, I think the danger in a lot of these places that where maybe there isn't or isn't an invitation is that mm -hmm. there isn't a clear expectation of what it means to grow and be disciple within the context of that body because it's not displayed or it's not regularly talked about or it's not made plain. It's it's not on their website. It's not in their sanctuary. Right. What does it look like for a church to start making plain the expectations of growth uh, within the context of the congregation? Yeah, I think it stems from our understanding of what it means to be a disciple, right? That God doesn't call us to, in the Great Commission, to make converts, but make disciples. So discipleship mm -hmm. is this ongoing spiritual growth. And if churches have that as part of their mission, then it should be reflected in the, the types of ministries they offer and the types of um, goal that they're trying to accomplish. Hey, we're trying to mature you to the point of usefulness and, and whatever capacity God has called you uh, to. And that should be kind of obvious and displayed. Otherwise, people feel free to just come and wander in and wander out with kind of zero commitment, zero expectation, uh, with there's no 
biblical discipleship that's being reinforced and clearly articulated as to what that discipleship involves, what it looks like, um, and what it ultimately is going to require of them. And people who bristle at that uh, just need to be reminded that that was the invitation of Jesus himself when he said, come and follow me, that there was this denying yourself and taking up your cross. It wasn't just kind of a uh, an usher into fast forward uh, eternity, but there was a, this is, this is what it involves and looks like. And so we just have to reinforce that. But I think it's really important for churches to have one, that, that pathway identified. The reason why you don't see it kind of advertised or articulated is because some church leaders haven't actually spent the time to take, to say in our context, what does discipleship look like? What do our people need? What community, what does our community need? And how do we need to funnel them through kind of this discipleship paradigm, if you will, um, in our church? And so once you know that, though, you have to have a responsibility to communicate. And what I have found is if you're not communicating it almost to the point of, you know, being nauseous uh, or obnoxious, then they're not getting it. You know, at the moment mm-hmm. you get tired of saying it is when they're first beginning to actually hear yes. uh, what you're saying and what you're expressing. So it has to be uh, kind of a slow, ongoing drip that just permeates everything you do. Yeah, that's really good. Scott, I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Before we close, I, I want to invite you to to maybe um, give an invitation to mm. our listeners in terms of calling. So if, if, if it, within the audience of listeners, uh, there are people that are saying to themselves, you know, I have sensed that maybe there is a calling on my life. What are some things mm. that you would want to communicate to our audience in terms of uh, responding to that calling on them? Yeah, this is really important. Thank you for this opportunity. Uh, I would just encourage you, one, don't run from your calling. Uh, what God has called you to uh, has everything in mind from your past to your uh, upbringing to um, your situation in life now uh, to all of those things. He's considered all of those things. And don't have some excuse that makes you run from your calling, a.k.a. Jonah, right? Where he just mm-hmm. like, God, I don't want to do this. I, I don't I have no desire. God, please, I don't want to do it uh, and run the other way. Uh, there's a softer side of that. It's not necessarily rejecting your call, but there's this resistance in your calling. And I would encourage you, if you just have um, reservations, God is patient with those. He understands. I think of Moses as he kind of offered, um, you know, when God was saying, I'm going to send you to Egypt to free my people. And he he just, but God, I'm not sure. Why, why would they believe? Why are you sending me? And, and God told him, it's not about who you are. It's who I am, right? That's the I am. Uh, well, what if they don't believe me? And God equips him with that. He says, hey, listen, I'm going to give you some signs that you can carry with you. Well, God, I, I'm, I'm not capable in and of myself. And well, I'm going to give you Aaron. I'm going to be the one to put the words in your mouth. Well, God, I've got a history with this. God overcomes his insecurities and inabilities uh, to accomplish his plan and purpose. And God mm-hmm. is patient with him. And I'll say there's only when the, the point where Moses did want to um, kind of reject it. God, just please send someone else that the anger of God was kindled against him. Um, But in terms of just wrestling with and resisting, be honest with God and God will accommodate that. God will meet you where you are. Don't feel like you have to resist it. And then don't resent your calling. A lot of times people get to the point where they, by comparison, look at what their life could look like if they don't pursue God's call. Well, you know what? My life could be like this. Um, Or once they respond to God's call, they begin to say, gosh, I wouldn't have these problems if I had just stayed on this pathway. Uh, Don't resent your calling. God knows exactly who you are, what he's called you to, and what's going to bring you the greatest 
satisfaction, but ultimately for his glory in your life. I think of Peter in this scenario when uh, God, Jesus restores him through this kind of threefold affirmation after his threefold denial. Do you love me? Mm -hmm. Do you love me? Do you love me? When Jesus said, hey, Peter, you're going to feed my sheep, but you're going to die for this. And Peter looks at, at John over his shoulder. What about him? And Jesus said, Peter, you just follow me. And a lot of times by comparison, we want to look at other people's lives and resent our calling. I wish I had their gifts or their context or you know whatever it may be, and we can grow resentful in our calling. So if you're prayerfully consider, God, are you calling me to, to surrender to you my life in vocational ministry? Uh, don't reject God's calling. Don't resist it and don't resent it. Respond to it by simply saying, yes, full surrender. Uh, put your yes on the table and trust God to fill in the blanks and the details of what he's calling you to do. Man, I love it. Th Scott, thank you so much for that. That's that's a real blessing. I've really enjoyed this conversation and I really enjoyed the book. And so I want to plug it. I want to plug it one more time. Calling Out the Called by Scott Pace and Shane Pruitt. Uh, it's available on Amazon. Uh, wonderful read. Not, an inc not incredibly long, uh, mm -hmm. but great doctrinal insight. Um, also very practical and, uh, and challenging for anybody that's in leadership or, or considering leadership or a call on their life. And so mm. highly recommend the book. And I want to say, Scott, thank you again for, for being with us on The Postscript. We really appreciate you. And thanks for having me. Grateful for you and for all your listeners in the ministry uh, for Christ that they, they uh, kind of offer and serve. Praise God. And we want to thank you as well for listening. And uh, we pray that this uh, conversation for leaders would be a real challenge, a real call uh, to consider uh, maybe how you can renegotiate your services, your worship services. Is there room, is there space in your service to uh, you know, methodically and consistently call people to more, to go deeper, uh, whether that be a, a call to salvation. Hey, uh, you don't know Christ. There's things to repent of. You need forgiveness. You need peace. You need the goodness of God on your life. Come, come respond to that. Uh, or it be discipleship. Uh, let's go deeper. Let's understand God's word together. Let's get mentored in the faith. Let's get involved in ministry and own what God's called us to do. Uh, or maybe it's a very specific calling. Maybe God has called you to be a missionary or a church planter or in leadership in a deeper way in your church. And so whatever that might be, uh, uh, you know, in terms of the context of your church, we want, uh, we all want, we want the Great Commission to be fulfilled in our churches. And so uh, maybe this conversation helps spark some new ideas and change your heart and your motives as it concerns those things. But if you are the called, if you are someone who is saying, hey, I need to learn God's word, I need to be equipped, I need to be prepared for what's next, what's ahead of me, we want to invite you to visit lfbi.org and consider the Living Faith Bible Institute and whether or not uh, you can learn uh, theology, you can learn ministry leadership, and, and whether or not this is the place for you to come get equipped for the work that's ahead of you. But all of that said, we love you, we're grateful for you, we're grateful for this time, and we can't wait to see you again next week for another episode of The Postscript. God bless. Thanks for listening to The Postscript. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a rating and review in order to help other people find our podcast. If you value this show, please help us continue creating content by supporting Living Faith Bible Institute at lfbi.org support.